Hello and welcome to Lifetimes of Learning, a production at the Buddhist Discussion Centre Australia. In our podcast series, we will be discussing the teachings and principles of Buddha Dharma, which is just as relevant today as they were 2,600 years ago. In this podcast, we will cover chapter 14 of the book titled Bringing Wisdom to Life, authored by Anita Carter and Frank Carter, published by Tableau Publishing in 2018, copyright held by Buddhist Discussion Centre Upway Limited. Whether you are on the meditation cushion or on your way to work, we invite you to bring your mind inside and listen to the teachings of the Buddha. Chapter 14 Meditation with Virtue and Concentration If you have sincerely started to implement the methods and ideas presented in this book, you are already in a position to recognize the effect on your life and your mind through having made these efforts to develop yourself by practicing the various components of the happiness map. The result of applying each aspect of Buddha Dharma practice means our mind has become a platform. The virtue platform shown on the happiness map is then inside us. Our mind has all the components we have been practicing as real mental qualities or states. Our mind has mindfulness. It has morality. It is generous. It no longer harbors unwholesomeness. It stays wholesome. We are living virtue. We have become what we practice to develop. Our mind is already happy most of the time, automatically. We don't have to do anything or get anything for our happiness to arise in us anymore. Referring to the happiness map diagram shown earlier, above the oval virtue platform are the words meditation with virtue and concentration. The purpose of Buddhist meditation is to see our own mind clearly, to see it and know what we are looking at. With this unclouded view of our mind, we can fix up wrong views and create the right conditions for our mind to become fully awakened. This awakened state is called the perfection of wisdom or enlightenment. The Buddhist path is sometimes described as having three principal components. These are virtue, concentration and wisdom. The meaning is that virtue together with concentration form the correct conditions in the mind from which wisdom can arise. The practice we have done in building our mind's virtue platform is to correct preparation of our mind for concentration to arise in when we do Buddhist meditation. There are four states of concentration which are associated with materiality or having a physical form and four states which are not associated with materiality so are called formless states. The Pali word we use for these states is called jhana which means meditative state of concentration. The jhanas are all wholesome or moral states of consciousness. 
the purpose of using these states for Buddhist meditation is that whilst our minds are in these states, many of the unwholesome defilements cannot arise. Whilst these defilements are cut off by the jhana meditation, the mind can more easily become pure and bright and the concentration well developed. The mind is then put to work to examine and see correctly each of the parts that make up a human being or make up what we call ourselves. The Buddha taught that human beings are made up of five groups or aggregates. These are number one, body. In the Buddhist classification, consists of the 32 parts of the body, such as our heart, liver, blood, bones, etc. And these parts made up of the four great elements, namely earth element, solidity, fire element, temperature, heat and cold, water element, fluidity, and air element. Number two, feelings, consisting of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, worldly and unworldly feelings. Number three, perceptions, consisting of sense perceptions, perceptions such as memory, time, and the mind looking at expectations of the future. Four, volitions or karma formations, a group consisting of thinking, ideas, mental formations, opinions, and self-images of what we think we are. Number five, consciousness consisting of 121 various types of consciousness, some of which are wholesome, some unwholesome, some neutral and some functional. With virtue and calmness well developed, our mind can achieve the right concentration or focus in meditation to examine our own internal world to recognize and observe each of these five groups. Buddhism says we have many incorrect understandings of what we really are, incorrect understandings of our five groups. We talk and think about ourselves, but have we ever examined what this self is? We accept and act on most of the mental states that come into our minds willingly, yet many of these produce and create the suffering we experience from day to day. We tend to believe our own self-talk, yet on analysis we agree intellectually that most of our self-talk is rubbish. We dwell on the events and experiences which disturb us and or sadden us without knowing how to disentangle ourselves from them. These are examples of how our ignorance about our own nature is manifesting in our behaviour. Specifically, our ignorance has the following fundamental wrong views about ourselves. There are four most beings, irrespective of their place of birth, unrecognized deep convictions that number one, my body is permanent. Number two, my mind, feelings and body can be relied upon. Number three, there is a real me or self either comprising my body feelings, and mind, or somehow independent of these things, we don't know. 
even though we can intellectually understand the body is impermanent, even though we can intellectually recognize feelings cannot be relied upon because they are always swinging back and forth, the mind itself doesn't know any of this for real. Therefore, our mind behaves as if my mind, feelings and body can be relied upon and that there is a real I, my or me. For example, unless we have cultivated insight wisdom, we don't really know we are going to die one day. Persons who have near-death experiences are often reported as saying the whole view of their life has changed because now they realize every day of their lives is something precious to not be wasted or something similar to that. We have to get down to really examining our five groups in the present moment, second by second, to develop inside wisdom, which itself removes our fundamental ignorance. The Buddha said that when you really examine your own five groups, correctly with the right mind you can recognize and then realize with insight that each group has three absolute unalterable characteristics. Our five groups are all impermanent, unreliable and not self, anicca, dukkha and anatta in Pali. When the mind really recognizes your own mind and body is impermanent, it will stop grabbing because it knows grabbing something which only lasts for a second or so is fertile and can never be satisfying. When the mind sees your own mind and body are unreliable, it will also stop grabbing at them. Through insight wisdom or self-arising knowledges, the mind can find out, my body will die one day. One. Feelings can't be relied upon. They can be pleasant, unpleasant or neutral driven by your past karma. There is no such thing as a permanent, pleasant or unpleasant feeling. 2. Memories and perceptions are unreliable and cause us to lose our clarity of the present moment if we dwell on them. 3. Thoughts and self-images are just arising and passing away. We have thousands of thoughts each day. They are just thoughts, some wholesome, some unwholesome. They can't be relied upon as always being the correct view or correct understanding. 4. The various types of consciousness which we experience are unreliable and come and go according to past courses. Finally, when the mind sees things as not-self, anatta, it will stop grabbing because it will know none of the components which we think of and call us are really an everlasting self. The experience of this can be related by a story written by a Buddhist practitioner who was not actually a Buddhist when he had the experience described. In early 1982, I was traveling for a few weeks in Tunisia and I had contracted food poisoning. I had to sit in bed at the equivalent of a bed and breakfast 
for three or four days as I was too sick to continue travelling. One morning I decided to leave and I staggered down the stairs with my pack on my back but after about half a flight I turned around and went back up to my room. The next day I managed to get out of bed for an hour or so and found a local bookstore. Most of the books were in French or Arabic. I could only find a few books in English and only one book interested me, which I purchased. For a couple of days, I just sat in bed and read this book. The book itself was not very long, perhaps a hundred pages. The author had the rare skill of being able to lead the reader to consider some aspects of life quite deeply. One section of this book puzzled me. The author was describing the Buddha's teaching of not-self or no-permanent-self. He described the meaning of this teaching quite clearly, so I thought I had certainly understood it. But then he had written something like the following. You may think you understand what you have just read. However, believe me, you have not really understood it at all. If you really did understand this teaching, right now you would be happier than you have ever been. Your mind would be free and clear and you would have a completely transformed view of your own existence. I sat in bed reading this page over and over because intellectually I had understood what was written. But there at the end of the page, the author had stated, Believe me, you don't really understand it at all. Normally, if I was reading a book, perhaps, I would stop for a moment to puzzle over what the author had written and after a bit of contemplation continue on to read the next page. However, I was stuck in bed with no TV, nothing else to read, no other distractions and I couldn't go anywhere. I remember reading this page maybe 15 to 20 times. It was an intellectual puzzle that I couldn't understand. I couldn't understand it in the way he said was the real understanding. Then as I read, in a flash of an instant, my mind saw or knew directly that that self I had been relying on and serving for my whole life was not actually real. The thing about myself I had the deepest conviction was real actually was not real. The self I had always known had vanished. In its place was a luminous, vibrant, peaceful energy which filled my whole body. My sickness had completely disappeared instantly and I could get up. I was happier than I had ever been, just what the author had said would happen. I sat on the bed astonished. The experience of I didn't exist anymore. Ideas, memories, feelings and sensations were experienced with no overseer believing I am feeling this or this is happening to me. The God in the sky of my head I had always served was gone. It was as if I was released from a prison. I had this bright, happy, lucid view of everything. I left my room and went out in the town walking along, infused with delight and great joy. My whole being felt incredibly light, free and filled with energy, happiness and warmth. I understood what it felt like to be completely happy and at peace. 
So now I knew directly. There are moments of life and living that are way beyond what we generally assume to be our fixed experience of reality and worldview. After another day or so, however, the experience gradually began to weaken and become less euphoric. And by one more day, I was back in bed with my sickness. There is no single part of us which remains unchanged from when we were a child. We are constantly changing, with nothing remaining immune to change. In other words, there is no component of us which has an independent, unchanging existence, which could be called a soul or a self. There is one particular mind, the Buddha found, and he was the first person in this age to discover this mind, a mind which knows anicca, dukkha, and anatta. Of all things, simultaneously at one time, it is called nibbana. It is the object of the Buddha's eightfold path. This is represented on our happiness map by the words "ultimate happiness," nibbana, wisdom. A great Buddhist master, while visiting Melbourne many years ago, said the following statement in his public talk: "Samsara is the mind looking outwardly." Lost in its own projections, nirvana is the mind seeing inwardly. Nirvana is described as perfect peace, an unconditioned mind that does not operate from past causes. It does not operate within the process of cause and effect. Therefore, nirvana is also referred to as being deathless, because only conditioned phenomena form what we refer to as birth and death. Because of these characteristics, nibbana is a truly reliable goal and refuge that cannot be swept away by life, death, place, or time. Actually, the extent of some of the practices described in this book are well beyond the beginner level of Buddhist practice. So, at times, this book has provided more than a basic introduction to Buddhism. Please don't be overwhelmed or feel that Buddhist practice is beyond you or too advanced because it's not like that. It's unrealistic to expect to be able to run before you have learned to walk. Just know that if you start Buddhist practice by implementing the bits you can relate to, the parts that do make sense to you, that effort will achieve a real benefit for yourself and others around you. Geshe Acharya Tuptan Loden, spiritual leader of the Tibetan Buddhist Society of Australia, wrote in his book *Meditations on the Path to Enlightenment*: "With the laziness of procrastination, you have a willingness to practice Dharma, but a sense that there is not time for it now. You postpone engaging in virtue until later." There are so many excuses. At the moment, I do not have sufficient intellectual knowledge of the Dharma to be able to practice properly. I will wait until the children leave home and then do a degree in Buddhism, so that when I do come to practice, I will do so properly. Another may think if I do anything, I want to do it wholeheartedly. 
I'm too busy to devote a high level of effort now, so I will carry on with business until I amass a large amount of money and can retire. Then I will be able to devote myself to the Dharma. Or else, you cannot gain realizations without doing a lot of meditation. I have no time at the moment to meditate because I have to nurse my sick old mother. When she has passed away, I will have time to meditate, so I will practice Dharma then. There is usually a major misconception of what Dharma is and how to go about it that supports the attitude of procrastination. Geshe writes, Never fall into the trap of waiting for the right circumstances to be able to practice Dharma according to some preconceived notion as to what constitutes practice. Whatever your present circumstance, they are perfect for you to apply the Dharma in the most effective manner according to your specific karma. You are a unique individual. Your circumstances are unique. And you can uniquely apply the Dharma according to those particular conditions. The important thing is to just start. You can build on that as you go. Start and never give up. Benefits of listening to the Dharma The Sadharama Smriti Upasthana Sutra mentions there are 32 benefits that can be gained from listening to the Dharma. It reads as follows. What are these 32? When a realized master teaches the Dharma, he's like a parent to his audience, giving guidance, and he's like a bridge across the river of birth and death. When one hears what one has never heard before, one attains new realizations, Once one has knowledge, one can begin to think about what one has learned. Once one has begun to think about what one has learned, one has truly begun to practice self-cultivation. Once one has begun to practice self-cultivation, one will abide in peace. Once one has begun to abide in peace, one can begin to benefit others and then a mutually beneficial interaction can begin. If one is able to abide in peace, then even hardship will not seem disturbing. If one listens to the Dharma, then roots of goodness will begin to grow where formerly they did not grow. If one contemplates what one has learned, then one will become prepared for liberation. Listening to the Dharma can lead people with perverse view to change their view to right ones and listening to the Dharma can help people destroy unwholesome thoughts whenever they arise. Listening to the Dharma increases goodness of mind and rids one of negative mental causes and conditions. Listening to the Dharma keeps one from being scattered and disorganized in one's activities. Listening to the Dharma leads one toward the company of good people and leads one away from selfishness and falseness. Listening to the Dharma encourages one to care for one's parents and believe in karma. It also shows one how to live a long life. Listening to the Dharma leads one to be raised by others and protected by heavenly beings and it causes one's deepest wishes to be fulfilled. 
Listening to the Dharma brings one all the joys of the Dharma and keeps one from sloth and laziness. Listening to the Dharma causes one to progress quickly, to understand gratitude and to think often on the meaning of death. If one has listened often to the Dharma at the time of one's death, one will not cling to life or feel remorse for what one has done. Ultimately, listening to the Dharma will lead one to Nirvana. This concludes Chapter 14 of the book titled Bringing Wisdom to Life. Thank you for listening to our Lifetimes of Learning podcast. To listen to other chapters of this book and our other recordings, please go to our website www.bdcu.org.au and click on Dharma Teachings. Or you can go to our online World Buddhist Radio station from our website by clicking on Buddhist Radio. May you be well and happy. May all beings be well and happy.